0: We're in the middle of a series that we're calling Modern Family, and uh, today we're talking about how to how to have a good fight. And uh, next week, Rich will be talking to us about how to say no to your kids, and I think he is uh, working on memorizing that uh, Tiger Mother book that uh, you may have read about in the Wall Street Journal or something, and uh, that should be good. We're looking forward to that. But, uh, but seriously, this morning, our, our series, uh, we're talking about... The family, we're talking about how to have a good fight, but even uh, what we're talking about this morning is applicable even if, you, uh, even if your family is a family of one, because you're going to have conflict with other people, and that's just part of living in a broken world with broken people, and it's, it's just reality. Steve was mentioning that uh, when he and Victoria got married, the, one of the questions they had is, are we going to fight? They didn't have premarital counseling with me and Ann, otherwise they would have had that, uh, that question answered. We love uh, doing premarital counseling with, uh, with young couples, and one of the questions I always like to ask them is, have you guys had a fight yet? And if so, how have you resolved it? And I, just, I start, almost start drooling when, when they say, we've been together for six months and we haven't had a disagreement And I look at him and say, don't worry, we can take care of that. And then we begin just asking questions. And I usually like to go to holidays first. Most of the time, this takes care of it. So you say, have you guys talked about where you're going to spend Thanksgiving and Christmas, your first year of marriage? Oh, yes, we've talked about it. And he's agreed that we're going to spend both Thanksgiving and Christmas at my parents' house. Isn't he wonderful? And I'll say, yes, I'm sure he is. And then you ask them and you say, and what about New Year's Eve? Oh, well, I'm sure my parents won't mind if we come over for New Year's Eve. They really love him. That's great. That's great. And what about next year? Oh, we're planning on spending all the holidays every year with my parents. We haven't asked them yet, but I'm sure that they won't mind. And at this point, you look over at the guy, and he's just beginning to shake his head. And he says, I get what you're talking about. And next time, they come back, and they say, we had our first argument, you know. <laughs> and uh, if it's not that, it's, it's something else. I was looking on the Internet this week just to double-check and see, you know, what are the main things that couples argue about? Money children, and the making of children. Those are the top three things that couples argue about. Conflict is inevitable, whether it's in a marriage, whether it's in your family, you and your kids, between your siblings, with your parents. You know, we're going to have conflict. We're going to have difficulty. We're going to have disagreements. And the question is not how do we Avoid them, and we can ask that question. And and there's some things this morning that I think will help with that. But the real question is, how do we deal with it? You know, when we're in the middle of the conflict, what do we do? How can we have a good fight? And uh, Ann and I have been married for 25 years, and uh, we've had our share of of disagreements, of interactions, of arguments, of of fights, etc. And so, I thought this morning that I would give you uh, 25 rules of engagement for how to have a good fight. But then I thought about it. And I said, no, you guys, most of you like to take a nap in the afternoon. You don't want to do it in the morning. So we'll cut it down from 25 to about 10. And uh, we'll kind of move through them fairly quickly. And somebody asked me after uh, the, the first service, I, you know, I didn't write everything down. Uh, can I get a copy of these later? I'll put them up on the blog this week and take a look there and you can have uh, these. So if you want to take notes, you don't have to. Uh, f- number one, first rule of engagement for how to have a good fight don't sweat the small stuff. Don't sweat the small stuff. You don't have to fight every battle. In fact, if you want to have harmony in your family, you've got to be willing to overlook minor offenses wherever it's possible. You know, Okay, so he leaves the top off the toothpaste. You know, do you have to make an issue of that? You know, well, you know, she rolls the toilet paper off the back side, not the front side. I can't imagine why she would want to do that because the right way to do it is off the front (laughs) side, you know. But if she's going to do that, can't you just flip the thing over yourself, you know, as opposed to marching out there and making an issue of it? You know, seriously, if we're always pointing out every little thing, that our spouse or our kids or our parents or whatever it is, for always pointing out every little offense, we're never going to get anywhere in our marriage and in our family, and we're just going to have conflict after conflict after conflict. Solomon, uh, who wrote most of the book of Proverbs, writes uh, in this in Proverbs chapter 19. He says, A person's wisdom makes him slow to anger, and it's his glory to overlook an offense. It's okay to let some stuff go. It's okay not to remind your spouse or your kids every time that they do something wrong. Sometimes we can overlook an offense, and it doesn't mean that there wasn't a problem there, but sometimes we can just love them and say, you know what, I love them enough. I don't need to deal with that issue. Let's just let it go. On the other hand, rule number two, if you can't overlook it, don't sweep it under the rug. Don't let it build up. Don't let it fester. Sometimes you just got to deal with it. If you've tried to overlook it, you know, and it's just getting to you time and time and time again. If you let it build up, it's going to end up becoming this huge thing and it's going to end up potentially destroying your marriage. And I don't know how many times I've talked to different couples about the issues that that they have and they started off with something as stupid as leaving the cap off the toothpaste or which way you roll the toilet paper or, you know, whatever it is. And so don't let, don't let things build up. Don't sweep it under the rug. Otherwise, you're going to get this big pile, and it's going to be a whole lot more difficult uh, to deal with. The Apostle Paul, in this great chapter in the book of Ephesians, if you want, you want to read Ephesians chapter 4 this afternoon, tons of advice on relationships in Ephesians chapter four. But here in verse 26, he says, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on the cause of your anger. You know, conflict is inevitable. And there are gonna be times when we're gonna be able to just say, I can move on. It's not an issue. I'm not gonna let that come between us. But there's other times when we're not gonna be able to move on from it. So don't sweep it under the rug. Don't let it fester over a period of time. Don't let the sun go down on the cause of your anger. If you can't move past it, bring it up, deal with it, before it becomes a whole lot bigger than it needs to be. Number three, take a good long look in the mirror. Before you begin an argument, ask yourself, how have I contributed to this problem? What's my role in, in this difficulty? In my 25 years of marriage and you know, five years of dating and stuff before that, I cannot think of a single time when Anne was completely at fault, when I was not at least partially at fault, if not completely at fault in that situation. And in the hundreds, hundreds of couples that I've talked to, whether it's marriage or just brother and sister or friends or coworkers or whatever it is, never have I run into a situation where it is completely the fault of one person. You know, even, uh, I remember, you know, I'm sitting with people, counseling them, talking with them one-on-one. Usually it's the guy, so I'm not, you know, picking on one or the other, but usually I do one-on-one counseling more with men than with women. I don't know how many times I've been sitting in my office talking to somebody, and he's sitting there saying, yeah, and she did this, and she did the other thing, and you know, da 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 and I say, and, and what about you? Well, you know, she said this, and that provoked me. Yeah. And how did you respond? Well, it's her fault. And finally, I kind of stop and I look around the room and I say, do you see her anywhere in this room? And he always says, well, well, no. And I say, okay, we're not talking about her. We're talking about you. Yeah, but she, no. What's your role? Okay. She pushed your buttons. Did she force you to respond that way? Did she hold a gun to your head and say, I'm going to kill you if you don't fly off the handle? I mean, you know, and after a while, hopefully they eventually get it and realize, yeah, I'm at least partly at fault in this situation. And if we'll stop and look in the mirror, that can do a a huge contribution to resolving the conflict. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew chapter seven. He says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You know, that little thing in their eye is pretty big when it's in my own eye. And if I've got something in my eye, I can't look at yours and be able to honestly Help you remove that, but if I can stop and look in the mirror and say, "Okay, here's where I messed up," that goes a long way to resolving the conflict. Number four, you want a good way to ruin uh, a—actually, a a good way to ruin a fight? Hold hands. Hold hands. You know, just make sure that that whoever you're holding hands with has has not sharpened their nails beforehand. But uh, you know, even if you don't hold hands physically think about it kind of in a virtual way. You know, I'll take a walk around the block with Ann or one of my daughters. And, you know, we just like to hold hands as we're walking around the block. Why? It's, it's expressing that love and that commitment that we have for one another, that bond you know, that we have in our family. If you can hold hands either actually or, or virtually as you're working out that issue, that argument, that difficulty uh, between you, it will go a, a long way to keeping the conflicts calm, keeping it focused on the issue at hand, and not be so focused on attacking one another. You're supposed to love the people in your family. We got to act like it. Paul puts it this way. The apostle Paul says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave herself up for her, In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And this could be flipped around and and said, you know, as well of of, uh, wives loving their husbands. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we're members of his body. We don't hate ourselves. We don't do things to destroy ourselves. Why do we do that to our spouses? or to our family members. We're supposed to have that kind of relationship where we care about one another, where we love one another as much as we love ourselves. And you know, whether again, whether you hold hands or not, get the point, you got that commitment to one another. And that bond between you and your loved one ought to be stronger than whatever it is that's trying to come between you. Number five, identify the issue. Figure it out, figure out what it is that we're arguing about. You ever get in a situation, you know, 20, 30, 45 minutes into the argument, you kind of look at each other and say, so what is it that we're fighting about here? You know, I don't know, but you're still a jerk. You know, it's, it's, (laughs) it's the way it is. If you can identify what the issue is, if you can agree as to what you're disagreed about, you're halfway there to solving the problem. I mean, you think of it this way, your spouse wants to go on a cruise, you know, let's go on a, let's go on a cruise to Alaska. And you're like, no, that's a waste of money, you know? Well, what's the issue? Well, in your mind, the issue is that he or she, you know, wants to throw money away on some stupid cruise. And in his or her mind, it's, you don't want to spend any money on the relationship, You know, so you got that back and forth. Well, it's his fault or it's her fault or whatever it is. But if you can stop and say, no, that the issue is not that you spend money like it's going out of style or I'm a tightwad or stingy or, or whatever it is. The issue is we don't see eye to eye on how to spend our money. We got different priorities. We're committed to one another. We're committed to using the money that we have. We're committed to using that wisely. We just don't agree as to what's wise about that. And in a sense, what you're doing is you're taking a step back from the problem, from the issue. You're putting it there and you're coming together and you're saying, we're going to work together to deal with whatever that particular issue is. And if you can agree as to what the issue is, you're halfway there in terms of solving it. But if you can't agree on it, you've got no hope of solving it. Number six, seek To understand. Seek first to understand and then to be understood. Uh, You know, and that is one of the hardest things to do. Because we want the other person to understand our point of view first. And once they've got that, we're willing to listen to what they have to say. And that's the problem. If you got two people who both want to talk at the same time and who both want the other person to understand them, we're never going to get anywhere. But if you got two people who are committed and saying, okay, I want to understand your perspective in this situation. I want to understand why is it important to you that we go on that cruise? Or why why do you feel like we ought not to spend our money that way? great way to do that is to to try to, to reflect or restate what the other person has said. So you're saying to me that you want to go on that cruise because you feel like we never get any time away from the kids. We never, we, you know, or when we were first dating, we loved being in the outdoors and I would just like to do that and spend that time with you because I feel like it would just be really good for strengthening our relationship. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Now, you still may disagree, but doesn't it feel good when the other person understands what it is that's important to you. And we need to give that to one another. We need to do that for one another. If we're both selfish, if we're both looking out for our own interests, for our own desires, we're going to be, the conflict is going to be really difficult to resolve. Paul puts it this way. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. When Ann knows that I'm looking out for her interests and she knows that, and I know that she's looking out for mine, our relationship is a whole lot stronger. So make the effort to understand the other person and to help them to know that you understand them. Don't just say, I got you, now listen to what I have to say. Say it in a way that they'll come back and they'll say, yes, I think you got it. That ought to be one of your goals. Next one, number seven, keep it current. Keep it, stay in the present, keep it current. I read this story a number of different times about a couple that shows up at a marriage counselor and, and it's, a, it's a great story, but I've heard it two or three different ways. I don't know if it's accurate or not, but it's, it's worth telling because it's certainly, it's certainly true to life if it's not exactly true. So this couple goes into this marriage counselor and uh, he says, what seems to be the trouble? And the wife picks up this huge, like two-inch, three-ring binder, drops it on the desk and says, this is the problem. And the counselor says, what's this? And she says, this is every offense that he's ever committed against me in our 27 years of marriage. And he says, all that? And she says, oh no, that's just volume one of three. you know." And she, the, the counselor looks over at the husband and says, is this true? And he says, yeah, every word of it. And the counselor says, man, you're right. That is absolutely a problem. And he turns to the wife and he says, you know what? Until you're willing to give that up, you're never going to have a resolution in your marriage. You're never going to have a strong marriage. You've got to be willing to keep it current. I don't know how many times I have talked to people, and whether it's a husband or a wife, you know, she says, he won't let go of that thing. He won't Forgive me for that. He keeps bringing it up, or she keeps reminding me. Every time we get into an argument, it always goes back to this thing that I did, you know, 1, 5, 10, 15, 20, however many years ago. I can't live it down. I can't go back, and I can't change the past. But they won't let it go. You are never going to be able to have a good fight. You're never gonna be able to have a good family if you keep bringing up the past. You gotta keep it current. If you've ever been to, uh, you know, if you've been to more than one or two weddings, you've probably run into 1 Corinthians chapter 13 being read. It's a passage from, from the New Testament that the Apostle Paul wrote, and uh, you may or may not have known that it was from the Bible, but uh, it's, it's called the love chapter. One of the great phrases in there that really applies to this is, love keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Number eight, avoid absolutes. Never say never again. Or as Justin Bieber, apparently he's got this new song out there. Some of you are nodding, never say never. I have not heard it. I will not hear it unless I'm listening to it with one of my kids or something like that. You know, never say never. Don't say always. When you're using those absolutes, you're going to get in trouble. You know, don't exaggerate what the other person has done. And don't minimize your own shortcomings. Well, I never, you always just don't do it. You never tell me that you love me. Oh yes, I do. When did you last tell me that you love me? It was on our wedding day and I told you twice and I promised you then that if anything ever changes, I would tell you again, you know, there you go. Okay. You know, It wasn't okay, so he doesn't he hasn't said you love me in twenty five years, but he did say it once. You ever get in one of those situations, you know, with your kids and and you're trying to to deal with an issue and they say, You raised your voice, you're not you told us we're not supposed to yell at each other. It's kind of like a little lawyer trying to get off on a technicality. When you do the always and never thing, you got a technicality there and it's over, you know? Just don't do it because it hurts and it doesn't help in the conversation. Paul puts it this way. Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. It is not true that I always or that you never, okay? So just don't say it because it's just not true. When we use absolutes, we're almost never being totally truthful. Number nine, you want to know the quickest way to end a fight? Quickest way to resolve it. Wave the white flag of surrender. I apologize. I'm sorry. I was wrong. But you gotta apologize sincerely, you know? Make sure it's a real apology. How many times, you just gotta flip on the news, you know, and and see the latest politician uh, apologizing for whatever he or she has done. Mistakes were made. I'm sorry if somebody was offended by what I said. I mean, essentially what you're saying is, I'm sorry if you were offended. What that means is I'm bothered by the fact that you were offended and, you know, get over it kind of thing. It's like the two kids, you know, and, and, and they're fighting and Johnny calls Sally ugly and the mom says, apologize to your sister. And he says, I'm sorry that you're ugly, you know? I mean, <laughs> we do the same thing, just a little more sophisticated, you know? Don't minimize your offense. Don't shift the blame. I'm sorry, but I wouldn't have done that if you hadn't. You know, I'm sorry that you were offended. You know, Just come on. Be specific. Come clean. Be honest. I embarrassed you when I told that story about you. I was wrong to do that. I hurt you. I shouldn't have done that. Please forgive me. If you've ever received an apology like that, it's just like taking the, it it lets the air out of the balloon of anger, you know, and it makes it a whole lot easier to move on. So be the first one to apologize and make it a sincere, specific apology. I did this, it was wrong, I hurt you in this way, please forgive me. Great way to end a fight, great way to, to clean up the mess and to move forward and to strengthen your relationship. And then finally, forgive fully. Forgive completely. Forgive and don't bring it up again. You lend me $1,000, I don't pay it back, and you choose to forgive that debt, you know what? You're out 1000 bucks for the rest of your life. You are bearing the consequences for my sin you're bearing the consequences for my actions. You're bearing the consequences for my failure to pay that debt. It's costing you something. And the same is true when we forgive each other, when it's uh, you know uh, saying something mean about the other person or telling an embarrassing story or yelling at them or going back on a promise that we made or breaking an agreement that we had or spending money in a way that we said we weren't going to spend it or whatever it is. When we forgive somebody, we're saying, I'm willing to bear the consequences of your actions. It's costing me something, but it's worth it because I love you. So I forgive you, and I'm not going to bring it up again. I, I, uh, this week, I spent some time just double-checking what I'm, what I'm about to say, and I spent an hour or so just kind of looking through the Bible to make sure this is true. We talk about forgiving and forgetting, but you know what? God does not forgive and forget. There's nothing in the Bible that says that God forgets. And in reality, we can't forget. At least most of the time, we can't forget. The Bible talks about God forgiving, and then it uses kind of an awkward phrase, but it really captures this truth. It says, God forgives, and he remembers no more. And the idea there is not that he just some sort of a, you know, a divine brainwashing of himself. He knows what it is that we've done. He's just choosing to remember it no more. He's choosing not to bring it up again. I remember the first time I ran into this idea of not being able to to forget something. I was probably five or six years old. My mom had taken me uh, to the doctor. And as we were leaving, the doctor's assistant was kind of sitting there at her desk, and she's crying. As we're walking out, I said, Mommy, what's, you know, why is she so sad? And, and my mom said, well, it's because she and her husband just got divorced, and she's pretty sad. And I said, oh, what's divorce? And, you know, and she explained the whole thing with the, you know, the betrayal that had occurred and, and all that kind of thing. And I said, oh, well, you know what? She'll probably feel better in a couple of days, won't she? My mom said, no, I don't think so. I don't think she, she may never feel better from that. She's never going to be able to forget that. And for my little five or six year old mind, I mean, how many times I'd I, been hurt and I'd been able to forget it and move on. But as we grow up, we realize we can't always forget. I can't forget that thousand dollars. I can't forget that offense against me, but I can choose to remember it no more. I can choose not to bring it up again. I can choose not to let it come between me and the person that I love. Jeremiah chapter 31, God says, I'll forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. Not gonna remember your sins, God says. I'm not gonna bring them up. They're not gonna come between me and you. And when we understand the kind of forgiveness that God has for us, when we understand the kind of love that he has for us, when we understand that when when Jesus died on the cross, He was bearing the cost of our sins, and when he was raised again from the dead, that's an indication that God had accepted that cost-bearing, that that Christ had paid for my sins, that God had forgiven me, and that's how much he loved me. And and if you want to do a better job of fighting with the people you love, work at appreciating how much God loves you and how much he's forgiven you. Uh, All the ideas that we've talked about this morning are important, whether it's looking in the mirror or keeping it current, you know, et cetera. All those different, you know, rules of engagement for having a good fight are important. But this this is the the most key. Make sure you take some time to understand the kind of love that God has for you and the kind of forgiveness that he's extended to you. Because when we do that, it's a whole lot easier for us to forgive somebody else. It's a whole lot easier for us to keep short accounts. It's a whole lot easier for us to overlook an offense. It's a whole lot easier for us to apologize. It's a whole lot easier for us to grant forgiveness. Paul puts it this way. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. We've got to forgive one another in the same way that God forgave us in Christ. And if we all understood and appreciated God's forgiveness our relationships with one another would be a lot stronger. So the next time you're in an argument with your spouse or your your kids, you know, take a look in the mirror, keep it current, don't use those absolutes, but just stop and spend a little time and think, okay, I've been forgiven, I'm loved, God's not bringing it up again. I can extend that same grace and that same love and that forgiveness to the one that I love. And when we do that, we're gonna have good fights. We're still gonna have conflict, but we're gonna resolve it a lot quicker and it's not gonna end up destroying those relationships that are so important to us. Let me pray for us. Father, it is just incredible to stop and think about the kind of love and grace and forgiveness that you've shown us. You don't, you don't require us to pay back that debt. You forgive us and you don't bring it up again and I thank you for that love. Father, I pray that we would become so enamored of that love and so overwhelmed by that grace that it would just flow from us into our relationships with one another. I thank you that you're that kind of a God and I pray that we would become that kind of a people who would extend love and grace and forgiveness to one another, who would be quick to forgive, quick to apologize, slow to get angry and just overflowing in love for one another. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen.